Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Sydney. It's a blessing to have you along, and we will be having a, a baptism today at Bob's. So afterwards, come on by. He says snags are on offer, so it should be cool. Um, we're going to be in Job 42, concluding the study which has been really cool. I've been so blessed by going through this passage and just considering our great and awesome God, how good he is, how faithful, how awesome. The God who made us, he made us, he knows how to comfort us. He knows how to help us. And he sees our suffering and he knows when we're hurting and we don't need to know everyone to know that everyone who's here suffers and hurts. And he is able to help. He has purposes even in suffering. And that's really a key theme of Job is that God has purposes that he will fulfill. And he is good and glorious to do so. And he is our hope. He is our help. In seasons of suffering, we can often be content with small improvements. We just want a little answer to our question or Jacob, he said, hey, sons, go down to Egypt and buy a little grain. Elijah, when he is needing food, he went to the widow and said, can you bake me a little cake? You know, make me a little flatbread. Um, when the rich man was suffering in torment, he said, could you send, Father Abraham, could you send Lazarus over to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue? Just a little bit of water. Now, a drop of water, a little bread, a little grain, that's going to get used up quick. And we can, we can say, well, if my question would be answered, if God would just let me know why this is happening or what he's accomplishing through this, I could be helped. But you know, when we get more information, that provides opportunity for more questions. We're not quite satisfied with that because we're, we don't always look for satisfaction in Christ alone. To discover the reason behind the pain that you're experiencing is a life-threatening condition. That's not comforting. But to know that God is able to heal you, he's able to help you, he hears you, and he's with you. That's where the comfort is. It's in him. So praise him for his grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your power that you do reveal yourself to us. You do carry us. You guide us and shepherd us through this life. And you give us understanding of you. And may that increase today, Lord. Please fill us with your spirit. Humble our hearts before you to come to you just empty-handed, bringing nothing because you are our all in all. We have nothing except you. And thank you for delighting in us, for saving us, for calling us. And we ask that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you, as you've promised in Jesus' name. Amen. Satan, at the beginning of this book, he said, if you torment Job. He will curse you to your face. Like if you, if you allow him to suffer a bit, you put this hedge of protection around him. After God said, have you considered my servant Job? And he let, allowed Satan to destroy his family, take his things, remove him from his healthy position, his society ranking. And he was full of grief. He had a lot of questions. 
and his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, came to him. They wanted to comfort him, but they ended up accusing him. They were saying, well, this is judgment for your sin. Because you're suffering, it's obvious you are being judged for the wrong you've done. And Job justified himself. He says, I haven't, I'm not guilty of the things you're accusing me of. You're accusing me without evidence. And then Elihu, when they're done talking, barges in and he's annoyed with everyone because uh, Eliphaz and his friends, they had inept arguments and they had accusations without evidence. And Job, he kept justifying himself rather than God. And then from the whirlwind, God speaks and he just overrules everybody. He starts asking them questions about the universe and the earth he created and the animals he designed and how they know to do things. And the conclusion of this book is greater than just answering our questions of why we suffer, or why God would allow it. But the presence of God, it dissolve, he dissolves our worries and our cares. Our concerns, they're really rendered irrelevant. And this is from the perspective of a man who's sitting in dust and ashes, scraping himself with a pot, that God is to be glorified. He is gracious and good. How patient, how good he is. Job 42, starting in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. By this revelation of God, Job was brought to this place of humility, of agreement with God who created the earth, who placed the sun in the heavens, established the sea, created the living creatures. And Job realized that in trying to justify himself, he had been playing the fool. He had been speaking without full knowledge of what he was talking about. He's someone who knew about God, who feared God and offered sacrifices to God. But he had been like the man who tries to take the sword to behemoth or the one who dares to stir up Leviathan. He went from knowing he was innocent of these accusations brought against him uh, to seeing God in a new light. So he's not focused on himself and defending himself, but saying, wow, God, you are more awesome than I imagined. His eyes were lifted from his own circumstances to the God who can do everything. And I, I've heard people say, you know, God can do anything, but it's really better to say God can do everything because he does everything and he will do everything. The sun rises because God does that. The wild goats and the deer, they bear their young because God makes them to. The eagles build their nests in the lofty crags because God has taught them to do this. In his suffering, Job realized that God has purposes beyond his knowledge, that God was working at something he couldn't see. Since God was the one who caused deer to give birth in secret or makes it rain where no one can see, he surely was working something good to accomplish a reviving Restore, restoring and redemptive plan, even in his pain. And Job, he goes back to the very first question God asked we're from the world. And he says, who, who, uh, who hides counsel without knowledge? And he's like, I was kind of stuck right there. From the first word you uttered to me, I realized I had no answer to you. He was convicted. He was humbled. And this, this is the man that was once the greatest man of the East. It's a pretty amazing thing to say. The greatest man in the East. He had the most possessions. He had the most power, fame, influence. He was a man who needed no introduction. And God's like, who's this talking? This, he's talking about Job. 
like when Job would walk up, the princes would put their hands on their mouths and everyone would be hanging on every word to hear what Job had to say. And now God's like, who's this talking? Who doesn't know what he's talking about? And he starts asking him questions. It's like how insignificant Job was and all others in their prime. And now God is speaking. And he confessed, I've been speaking without understanding. I got carried away in my ignorance. I was so focused on defending myself and justifying myself that my ignorance of God was exposed, whom I hardly knew, because now I've seen him in a new way. Solomon says this in Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and shame to him. We can have opinions on things that we really don't know half of the facts about. We just heard one thing about it and we've already made a judgment. And Job had some opinions. He had some very strong opinions that he was very free to voice. But then God spoke and it silenced him. He was ignorant of God's ways. He admitted that he was guilty of concealing counsel in, under the guise of providing it. And in one sentence, God did what his friends could not do. He humbled Job. Just ask him a question. That was enough. Continuing in verse four, listen, please. And let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Quite a different tone in Job's voice here. He initially demanded an explanation from God. He demanded justice from God. He's like, I want God to hear my case. I want to bring it before him. I want justice. But now he sees the folly of his pride, that that was a ridiculous demand put upon God, who had every right and power to demand answers from him, not him demanding answers from God. See the difference here for Job? He says, this is a God I had heard about. But now I've seen him. Now I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He went from seeing, hearing about God to seeing God, to experiencing him. And it blew him away. Just humbled him. You guys know the difference between about hearing about something and seeing it for yourself. Pretty big difference. The queen of Sheba, perfect example. She uh, heard of the wisdom of Solomon. So she got her spice train together and she went to Israel, to Jerusalem, to see Solomon and to visit with him. 1 Kings 10, 4 through 7, it says this. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. So she heard about Solomon's fame and she came to see it for herself but it was nothing like hearing him, seeing just, and notice the, the observations she's making. The, the food on the table, the way they serve him, the clothes they're wearing, the entryway into the house of God. Like this is phenomenal. It says she was just overwhelmed by it all. She came to realize she hadn't even heard half 
of what was true about Solomon. And having seen him, it revealed to her she hadn't believed. That's why she came. She had heard of it, but she really didn't believe until she saw. And when she experienced it herself, it just blew her away. Job has a similar thing here where it's like, you know, have you ever, you've been, I don't know that I've been so impressed about an outfit. Maybe that's a queen of Sheba thing where you're like, oh, those servants' clothes are amazing. The architecture, I can get that one, but the the outfits, maybe not so much. Um, But how much more amazing when God reveals himself? Like you've heard about God, but what about when he shows himself to you? And you're like, wow. That's how he operates. That's the way that he thinks. That's the way he works. That's what he was working towards all this time. And it's like, I didn't even know half of it. Job wasn't saying, I hate myself. He was saying, I reject my previous position. Everything I said, I take it all back. I was speaking from ignorance. I had no idea who you were until you started speaking to me. And then I realized, wow, what a God. And his sorrow for his folly, it moved him to repentance. And that that's so, shows godly sorrow, contrition. He repented of desiring death when God had given him life. He repented of cursing the day of his birth when he could have been blessing God who created him in this world. And he repented of speaking presumptuously in ignorance when he could have been speaking the truth about God and glorifying him to others. Expressing sorrow for what you've done wrong, that is not repentance. That is feeling sorry for what you've done. We see it commendable and we instruct our children, you know, say sorry to him or her because you've done the wrong thing. They go, sorry, right? They say sorry, they comply. But that's not repentance either. Repentance is when we acknowledge we have done wrong without making excuses. We take action that is an agreement with God in our thoughts and practice, we turn from sin and we do what's right instead. And Job's doing that with repenting. Paul had written a letter to the Corinthian church rebuking them for their sin. And he wrote later in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. We can be pleased when someone feels sorry. Like, you're not even sorry. You should feel sorry. They don't feel sorry. But God wants to see repentance because that shows godly sorrow. That shows sorrow that is moving someone to having a changed heart before the Lord, willing to be changed by God, to draw near to him. We ought to be sorry when we do wrong, like we've done the wrong thing. But it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The sorrow of this world, it leads to death, not to drawing closer to God. So this change of mind, this choosing to live, moving forward in obedience to God, that is repentance when we allow him to change us. Without God revealing himself to us, repentance would be impossible. We couldn't possibly do it because we need God to repent. We need him to be righteous and him to help us to humble ourselves before him. And as believers, we have the opportunity to repent and the responsibility to repent and to keep repenting when we're made aware of our sin. When our mouths are murmuring or complaining, sin could be the culprit in our hearts that we should be quick to repent of. We can apologize for what we've said or how others took it, but 
we haven't really thought about what our words implied concerning God. And that's where Job went wrong because he was telling the truth. He was being honest, but he said things about God that didn't take everything into account. Godly sorrow needs leads to repentance. Now repentance is not the end. It's not just to repent because repentance, it leads to renewed relationship, rejoicing. That's the end of repentance. If you're just always sad, well, then you haven't taken repentance to the full. The people who rejoice, repent the most can rejoice the most because they recognize they've been forgiven by a holy God. They have been justified. They are being sanctified and they're drawing closer to him. There's that restoration that's happening, that revival of relationship all the time when we repent. See, we'd love to never have the need to repent. We'd just love that to happen. But God in his wisdom, he allows us to struggle with things so that we'll learn to repent, so that we will be revived, so that we'll be restored and keep seeking him, not feeling sufficient in our flesh to contend in this life. Repentance leads to rejoicing, which we will see. Verse seven. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends for you have not spoken to me. What is right as my servant Job has now, therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Nemeathathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. God has spoken to Job. Job has answered with repentance, and now he addresses Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And he says, my wrath is stirred up against you because you have not spoken what is right as my servant Job has. I love that God at the very beginning, when he asks Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? My servant here at the end, four times in a couple sentences, my servant Job, he, he owned him and Job looked to the Lord and it didn't mean Job was perfect. The irony is, is that Job had said things that were ignorant. There were things that Job had inferred that were wrong. However, he was justified by grace through faith in God. It wasn't because he was a perfect man. It's because God had accepted him because he trusted in him because he feared him. Having repented, he, he was accepted. It wasn't because he was perfect. And that's good for us to realize that God does not expect perfection from us. But if we are his servants, we should serve him. We should seek him. We should humble ourselves before him. He, he demonstrated that he was God's servant by how he responded when spoken to by God. See, they played God with his situation. They were telling him what God was doing and why God was doing it when they didn't know either. They didn't realize that God's purposes included to chasing, chasten Job for his pride, to overthrow the accusation of Satan against Job, to show the triumph of faith in God, to reveal God's power to all. God was working with all those things and much more, not just to punish him, 
Now Job is placed by God as in the position of a mediator over his friends who accused him of doing wrong. Now he's going to be involved in their restoration. Pretty cool. He'd been accepted by God. They had accused him, but God had accepted him. No sacrifice they offered could be acceptable to God because they weren't acceptable to him. It could only be when he prayed for them that their sacrifice would be acceptable. Remember, these events took place long before the tabernacle and the law of Moses and the priesthood. And Job didn't have the scriptures written down for him. These are in the days of Abraham. Moses penned them hundreds of years later. Job didn't have the Psalms or the prophets or the gospels or the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Yet he was accepted by God because he feared and trusted him. The truth of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's so foundational in the new and in the old Testament that says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For us today, we have the gracious acceptance of God, his forgiveness, his salvation through faith in Christ. He's been revealed to be the Messiah, our mediator who we go through, who was accepted by God to offer up himself as a sacrifice for sin so that we could be redeemed and born again. Without Jesus, all of our sacrifices, all our service to God, abominable, refused, not acceptable. But through Christ, we have been accepted into the beloved. We have been given the right to be called children of God by believing in his name, receiving that gift. God commanded Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar to each take seven bulls and seven rams. That would have been a very costly endeavor to offer up for themselves a burnt offering. And then Job was to pray for them. And since God would accept Job, then he would accept their sacrifice. He says, otherwise, I'm going to deal with you according to your folly. Now, it's not spelled out here, but what that means is death. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. Um, the death of the body, the destruction of the soul in hell forever. But because they had someone who was accepted praying for them, that made the difference. They would be accepted then by God. By faith in Jesus, God does an amazing thing in accepting and adopting. So not just accepting, but adopting us as his children through faith in Christ. As it says in Ephesians 1, 5 through 7. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Having been accepted by God, then we seek to labor to do the things that are acceptable to him. We seek to please him. And we often fail in these efforts, don't we? Sometimes we're not even, that's not even our aim. We, we've lost sight of or even forgot about what pleases God. In, our, in that moment, that's not, we can be like Job. We're trying to defend ourselves. We're trying to make our point. We can be arguing, complaining, but this is where repentance plays an important part in reviving relationship with God by humbling ourselves in repentance. And it says Job's three friends, they did as God commanded them for the Lord had accepted Job. These men that came to him hoping to comfort, they turned into accusers. And God revealed that he was more interested than just justice. 
Because you can see like God's just and just have that be the overriding thing in your mind, which is totally true. But he's also compassionate. He's also merciful. He's long suffering. He's gracious to those who humble themselves before him and ironically employ Job in their restoration. It's like God could have brought the full fury of their sin upon them. He could have unleashed Satan upon them as well, but he, he accepted their offering, their atonement because Job prayed for them. Job 42 verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Job's forgiveness, his prayer for his friends, it made way for his own restoration. Isn't that powerful to consider that in praying for his friends, that was the way that he too would be restored. He had suffered the loss of his health, his wealth, his social standing. God gave him double of what he had previously. If you go to the beginning of the book, you see that everything that he has now is doubled to what he had previously. And he was doubly aware, I'm sure, that the God who gives can also take away. And he was generous with the things that God gave, recognizing that fully. And let's not miss that connection between Job's restoration and obedient prayer to God. And what if he is like, you know what? I don't really think my friends have understood how rude they were to me and how much they hurt me. So I'm going to teach them a lesson by not praying for them. I, that would not have gone well. And I wonder, like, how often have I or have we restrained God's hand from blessing us because we've not been willing to humble ourselves in prayer to pray for someone else as he leads? James 5.16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Job's healing, it didn't come from other people praying for him. It came from him praying for others. Spiritually restored, physically restored, financially restored. And there was no promise of any of these things at the onset. He wasn't said, if you pray for your friends, these are the benefits you will receive, Job. So weigh it out and consider, should you pray for them or not? No, God just told him, he'll pray for you. And he did. And God restored him. All by grace. He didn't earn it. God gave it to him because he loves him. All the power is in God who hears prayer, who answers it. And this text really brings out so clearly how desolate and ostracized was Job was during his trial because I'm like, he had many brothers. He had many sisters. He had acquaintances. Where were they when he was hurting? They weren't around. They weren't there. But here they come. He had alluded to what God did in Job 19, 13. He says, he has, speaking of God, he has removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. And now he's the generous host. He's the one likely who invited them to come. He invited them to come and partake of the blessing received from the Lord. It was customary when visiting great men to bring a gift. 
that's mentioned by Saul and his servant when they were going to go. They're like looking for the donkeys and they couldn't find them. And they go, let's go to the seer, Samuel. Oh, what do you have? Well, I've got a, you know, a couple shekels or something. It was like a small amount. Oh, that's good enough. Well, we've got something to bring the man of God. That's good. This shows that Job's social standing was restored. They came to him with gifts because he was a great man. He was a man who feared the Lord. He was a man who was humble. And instead of asking, hey, where were you guys when I needed you? Where were you when I was suffering? Now that I have wealth again, you're all coming around. He didn't have that attitude at all. He extended grace to restore them. And he rejoiced in his family and friends who consoled him and who comforted him. And I imagine his three friends plus Elihu were welcome. Like they, they could be there. It wasn't like, you know, everyone's invited except you guys. Because man, that was rough. <laughs> that was a rough situation. It was God who brought this adversity upon him. And that's important to, to note. Like he's like, God brought this adversity upon me. God afflicted me for a season. God also restored him. God blessed him. He redeemed it. And we can allow trials to take the shine off of God's blessing when blessing is multiplied through times of adversity and trials. What Satan intended for evil, God is able to use for good. And doesn't it take faith to believe that? To, to rest there? Where you're like, I can't see the good. But God is good. And I can trust him. And I'm going to keep trusting him. And I'm going to repent when I know I'm in sin. Instead of wanting other people to change, I'm going to, by his grace, humble myself. Everything else compared to God was nothing. That's where Job came to. It's like all these things, the things that he enjoyed about life, he's like, compared to God, what are they? God was his all in all. Nebuchadnezzar came to this place, king of Babylon. I've mentioned it at least once during this study. He went from being at rest in his palace saying, isn't this great what I've done? This great beauty that I have made my glory. And he's strutting through his palace, very pleased with himself to being driven from men and living like a beast for seven years in a paddock. He's eating grass. His humanity has just gone from his mind. He's just become insane and he can't even be around people. He's out with the animals being wet with the dew of heaven. And seven years, it took seven years for him to come to this conclusion that I'm going to read in Daniel 4, 34 through 37. I'm really glad that I don't have to live for seven years in a paddock to come to this conclusion. It says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. And after all Job went through, he could say, 
amen. And maybe you can say that too. Like, I can identify with that. And may we all identify with that by experience, that we have humbled ourselves before him. We realize we, we are the ones who have been put down, not by man, but by God, so that he might lift us up to be with him in the heavenlies through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Picking up in verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, the second, the name of the second, Kezia, and the third, name of the third, Karen Hapuk. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. After his trial and Having lost all, God restored to Job twice of what he had previously. Seven sons and three daughters, doubling both. Uh, it could be said that uh, if you know where someone is, you haven't lost them. And it could be that they uh, had the same faith that he had. And they were in the presence of the Lord. And it's fitting that he grieved their passing. It's also fitting he rejoiced in the, the new life God breathed into his family through those ten children. And we're told the names of his three daughters, the most beautiful in the land. That's what marked them. And their names, unlike the days of Hosea, you remember Hosea the prophet and God's like, name your kid this because it's judgment's coming. Like there was a pretty sobering meaning behind them. And all these are actually quite pleasant meanings in comparison to what Job went through. You just see someone who's like rejoicing in the name of the Lord and the goodness that God had given him. Jemima, it means dove. Kezia means cassia, the bark from that sweet-smelling cinnamon perfume. So quite different than the stench of his um, boils and just how bad life was for a season. And Karen Hapuk is the horn of beauty. And he gave them an inheritance among their brethren. It was not common in those days. And it showed his generosity. It showed his means to be able to provide them an inheritance. And... Uh, it was only made possible by the grace of God. Like everything he had, everything he was able to give was because God gave it to him because he had nothing at one stage. He couldn't say that by his own wisdom and strength, he had earned this. Because God blessed the latter years of Job more than his beginning, some said this is true concerning his life as well. Since he lived for another 140 years, it's believed by many he was 70 years of age when afflicted initially. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us what his age, were, age was. This is just from Jewish sources. And he lived to see his children for four generations and died old and full of days. You guys ever sat down to a meal you really looked forward to and you were, you were full? You were satisfied at the end of that meal? And when they brought the dessert menu, you're like, no, 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 I couldn't. No. And it's not because you don't like dessert. You do like dessert, but you were satisfied with the meal. The meal was enough and you're enjoying that feeling. What a blessing it is to come to the end of the days God's given us with satisfaction. Not looking forward to death to be rid of our ailing bodies or to receive a new body. 
that's glorified as Christ's, but because we're satisfied with the abundant life Christ has already given us. We're like, you know, I am satisfied and I'm ready to meet him face to face. I want to see him as he is, to know him as I am known. That's what I'm ready for. I've heard about him, but I am looking forward to seeing him and to know him in a way that I could not know him in this frame. And that's what awaits all of us by his grace if we're in Christ. So Job was blessed, not because his health was restored, because he had twice as many donkeys as he did previously, because his net worth doubled or he lived to have more son and daughters. The blessing was the riches of knowing God in a way that Job didn't and couldn't before the trial occurred. He now saw God he had only heard about. He was able to see him working in his life and in the world. He had come to a whole new view of who God was and how powerful he was. It just changed his whole life. He wanted an explanation for his suffering, but God provided much greater. He provided a revelation of himself. He could trust him fully now and forever. He feared him before. He was upright before, but now he saw him. James 5.11, it speaks of God's purpose and what he allowed. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He wasn't like, I'd like to find a good excuse to double Job's net worth. No. It was so Job could learn the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And this jars with our human thinking when we see him in his suffering, right? We're like, how could that be merciful or compassionate to let him suffer like that? And for so long to be estranged from his family, to, to be so sick and to have no hope. But the Lord is very gracious very compassionate and merciful. And so knowing that God, the sovereign ruler and controller of our lives, of our future, knowing that he is very compassionate and merciful, it changes our perspective of current trials. It changes the way that we face difficulties because we realize who God is and that he has a good purpose. Even if we can't see it, even if we never know it, we can rely on him. We can hold fast to him. We can proclaim him and bless his holy name. God took away what Job had so he could give him more. He afflicted Job so that the latter days would be more blessed than the first. Let's be quick to repent if we have been dissatisfied with God or the life that he's given us. Maybe because of something he's allowed or we've sought satisfaction in something else rather than him. We thought that real satisfaction in life is by the things we possess or by the things that we love. Turn please in your Bibles to Psalm 34, 8 and 9, and we'll close with this, these verses. And it's my prayer that we would, this would be true concerning us, that we would follow Job's example and perseverance of faith in God because we know him. Psalm 34, 8 and 9 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those 
who fear him. What an amazing promise. What an amazing opportunity we have through faith to see that God is good, that he's very compassionate and merciful, that today we have satisfaction in him. There is no want to those who fear him. He's like, well, what do you want out of life? How would you answer that? If it's not God, then you're missing the main thing because in him, there is no want. There is no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He supplies my needs. He's very gracious and merciful. How blessed we are to be servants of the almighty God, to have eyes open to his grace. May you receive his comfort. May you receive his compassion, his mercy, and proclaim him through your obedience and faith to him. Just praise God for who he is and all he's done. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this testimony in your word of Job, the things that you were accomplishing even in terrible trials and that you have redeeming and restoring ways that are beyond our comprehension. Lord, we would never wish what Job faced on anyone and yet you purposed it because you knew the end that you intended. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would be looking to you we would trust and believe there is no want to those who fear you. That we would learn from this example, that we would lay it to heart, and that we draw near to you in faith, knowing that you are good, that you are compassionate, that you are glorious. And Lord, who can question you as if you've done wrong? Thank you for giving us every reason to humble ourselves before you and that you help us to humble ourselves. I pray we would do so and that we would be those who are quick to repent, quick to uh, rejoice in your forgiveness and in the new life you've given us through Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would uphold us. You would continue to provide for our needs and you would open our eyes to see you. That we'd go from just hearing about you to seeing you ourselves. And thank you that there's no lack for any who trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.